Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 4th, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID number for Friday, May 2nd, is 6261. That's 6261. This morning, A Vision for You presents... What does entire abstinence mean? The topic of this special edition comes from Dr. Silkworth in The Doctor's Opinion. The Doctor's Opinion, which serves as a preface to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, is the foundation of the whole big book and the entire fellowship. Here to speak about entire abstinence is Ruth, a recovered compulsive overeater from St. Louis, Illinois. Ruth is dedicated to teaching the program of recovery, guiding others to use the big book effectively. She is a loyal messenger of Overeaters Anonymous who inspires, motivates, and educates those whose lives are touched by the disease of compulsive overeating. And welcome to you, Ruth. Okay, thanks, Leah. Appreciate it. All right, so we're going to start on the doctor's opinion. Um, I'll just give just a real brief overview. Um, I was uh, basically, I was trained by Joe and Charlie, uh, 2A members, long-term sober alcoholics that both now have died. They both got sober in the 60s. And um, what they had taught me is that the big book, first is a textbook. So it's not going to be like a romantic novel. You read it once and never have to read it again. Or like uh, a dictionary. You want to pick up and learn where something is, you just go to that part of the dictionary. You don't start at the beginning. This is a textbook, meaning you'll have to start at the beginning and you'll have to go through. And each anything you have read is built on what you've previously read. So you must follow the directions exactly as the big book are presented, but you must do it in the order it's presented. So it answers three important questions. And the first important question is, what is the problem? We have to know what the problem is because if we don't have the problem, we're wasting our time and you're wasting everybody else's. We need to leave because it doesn't apply to us. So what is the problem? And the problem is step one, that we're powerless over food and that makes our life unmanageable. So um, that's the problem. And where we learn where the problem is in the big book is the doctor's opinion, which will tell us exactly what the problem is. And then Bill's story, chapter one, will be the illustration to tell you what it means, what the problem is. So Bill Wilson, who the co-founder of AA, wrote the first draft. He always, when he had a major concept, he would always give you the, he would tell you what it is, and he would give you an illustration, an example, immediately following it, so that you could hopefully catch it in one of both ways. So that's what's done. Then the next question asked is, what is the solution? And what is the solution is, well, if the, if the problem is powerlessness, you don't have power, the solution is power. And the power has to be greater than yourself to restore you to sanity. So the problem is lack of power, and the solution is power, which is a power greater than us. So that is step two, and that will be found in chapters two, three, and four. And then, well, if you know what the problem is, you know what the solution is, well, the third important question is, well, how do I get the solution? What do I have to do to get the solution? And steps 3 through 12 will tell you exactly what you need to do in that order in order to have that happen. And that will start with Chapter 5 all the way through Chapter 7, working with others. And each step will be presented exactly what needs to be done 
and frequently an example will be followed to tell you exactly how to do that. So today we're going to talk on what is the problem. And one of the, prob the problems with what is the problem is it is presented very, very simple. It's very easy to understand, and that's why many of us don't understand it. Meaning our disease will block us from understanding what's being presented because our disease does not want us to understand, wants to create confusion, uh, disagreement, um, reservation. They, we hold ourselves back, and that's why we don't understand it. But it's pretty clearly laid out. So if we go to doctor's opinion, we'll be told exactly what is the disease cycle, what describes the problem. I think probably the, pro the program, uh, paragraph I most like is on XXDIII at the very bottom. And there it tells me what is the problem. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented, unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful, with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. So um, I've explained this more in detail. If you go to Thanksgiving Day in 2012, I, I went over this paragraph pretty extensively, but there is a, a cycle that we're in. And basically when we take that first compulsive bite, there's an allergic reaction to that which causes us to crave it. That means we have to have more. The body has to have more. It's not even the, in the mind. This is in the body. The body itself somehow abnormally processes certain food items in my body, different than the normal person. And that then results eventually in the, in the binge or spree here, as it calls it. We, I, I would come out emerging remorseful, swearing off I won't do it again. But, of course, that never lasts. I become restless, irritable, discontent. Some people will look at that as withdrawal. And then with nothing but my mind, which has an obsession to do it, eventually, of course, I will do it again, and I come back and do it again. So that's the disease concept. And so when we look at two pages later on XXX, we go down to paragraph one, two, three, four, near the end of the page. We're going to now talk this today about what does it mean to be entirely abstinent. And again, this is printed, presented so simply, it's entire abstinence, so we don't understand what entire means. But generally in every other domain of life, we understand entire. So let's read this paragraph. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment by which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So again, in this paragraph, it talks about the phenomenon of craving. There's a manifestation of an allergy. Put the first bite in. You have an abnormal reaction, which means craving, and that craving then causes you to eat compulsively. Now, one of the I'll go with some of what it isn't, because people will read this paragraph and editorialize it. That is, they like to add stuff that's not there or take out stuff they don't want to do. So one of the things it says here, the phenomenon of craving. Well, phenomenon of craving does not always resist in an immediate binge. Though you're in this, this disease cycle, it does not mean that any and every single time you take that first bite and you're off and running. It may happen that way, but it may not happen that way. 
So we think we understand the disease. We don't. We understood it. Uh, it would be a logical, rational, clearly could be learned what it's about. It's not because it's greater than us. This is not an intellectual exercise. All the 12 steps have to be taken in the heart to be taken the way the big book presents them. In the mind, oh, yes, the mind, yes, because, you see, the mind is self-will. The mind wants to figure it out and have an answer. When somebody asks me why am I, I'm overeating, I say it's really none of your business, but you'll get to know a lot about why in step four. By then they don't want to do that. But in step one they want to know why. And the reason we want to know why is because then we have, quote, the answer, end of quote. We understand, so now we can control the food. I want to know why so I can now still run the show. When we surrender, we don't care why because all we know is we don't know. And knowing we don't know, we give up asking the whys. We just do the actions required, and then we draw close to God, and we have the power that we can't have in our own efforts. So it's then important to understand in this paragraph that the disease may have fox you. So let's say you take a compulsive bite. This is what happened to me. I took a compulsive. I, I thought, um, you know, in my little small mind, that, well, I was going to take something that I really didn't, like, didn't even like. So I went ahead and took it, and when I took it, lo and behold, I did not binge. Well, see, I guess I could take that, but no, that's not really what happened. Because a few days later, I went for the real stuff. I went for my favorite binge foods, and I was off and running. And I never equated what I did on one day and I, what I ended up doing three days later had any connection with each other. Actually, they had all the connection. I had the phenomenal craving because I had put, in my case, sugar in my body. And then I had my body wanting it, going through withdrawal from it. And then, of course, I put more sugar and had my binge. So my game playing convinced me in my diseased mind that I didn't have a problem with one thing. And, of course, the body took over, and I had to have more of it. So let's not assume falsely, let's not editorialize this paragraph and claim it's saying something it's not. It says the phenomenal craving will be created, but it does not mean you'll have an immediate binge because the disease will outfox you. It will make you kind of think you can still handle it because you, wait, because you didn't have an immediate response for a day or two. Ah, see, I can do okay, can't I? Maybe this is uh, not as bad as I thought. Oh, maybe I can take over now. So understand the disease has already figured this all out, and you're simply a victim completely at your disease. So the paragraph doesn't say immediate binge. And we can have a phenomenon of craving that doesn't yield immediate binge, but yet the body knows. The body never forgets, and the body is, is churning and waiting for more. And then seemingly unrelated, we'll have something later. So read the paragraph. The paragraph does not tell you immediate binge. That's a clause we want to stick in there so we can continue to eat compulsively. If we understand our disease, it already knew what it was doing, and we had no idea we were under its influence. Another thing, uh, we'll say, okay, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Well, let's say we come in program, and we're coming in for weight loss. You know, I came in for weight loss. I was fat, didn't want to be fat, wanted to lose weight. Forget about the God crap. I had, I had no desire to have anything to do with God. God had screwed up. I didn't, have any, I didn't want anything to do with God, but please tell me how to lose weight, and you were free. Oh, well, you were, that was perfect. I didn't have to pay money, tolerated your hugs, and tolerated your talk about God. So 
so when I looked at this paragraph, again, in my little feeble mind, the beginning, um, I thought entire abstinence. Well, if I'm eating in such a way that I'm losing weight, I must be abstinent, right? Isn't that what it's saying there? I mean, the reason I came in was to lose weight. I am now losing weight, so I must be successful. So we must make that called entire abstinence. No, that's not the case at all. Absolutely, on the contrary. It doesn't say that. Now, yes, if we are abstinent and we're turning our life over to God, yes, our, our weight will move towards maintaining a healthy weight. I mean, that's my story. It happens pretty much with some exceptions. Um, that happens with everybody. So we will move towards a healthy weight. But it does not mean that if I come in with the attitude that abstinence is weight loss and I have weight loss, that I'm abstinent. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. Because if I come in with an attitude of a diet mentality, which is what I came in with, and then I lost the weight, I mislabeled that abstinence. Classic example, you get somebody to work with you, and you go ahead and they want to talk to you about, you know, what are those key ingredients in the foods you eat that you seem to not be able to stop eating, those, any foods with them in them. What are those foods? And so you have maybe three things, three things there, three substances, and, uh, but you, and you give the person two, two of them because, okay, you don't really want to give up everything. My God, that would be too much. This sponsor is just unbelievably demanding. So you give up two of them, and you've been eating so excessively, and you've gained so much weight. The giving up two of them results initially in weight loss. I mean, you're not eating like you ate. You're losing weight. But you're not abstinent. You've just given up enough to lose weight at this time. You see, then the disease has you again. So this paragraph does not say that entire abstinence is contingent on your manipulation of your food plan in order to lose weight. That's your self-will running riot, and you're still in your disease. Entire abstinence means entire. Oh, we just don't understand that word. It's just so difficult, right? Entire means entire. On page 68 in AA 12 and 12, it says, only step one, where we made the 100% admission we were powerless over alcohol, can be practiced with absolute perfection. So there's no wiggle room in that statement. So I must take this step 100%, and I must be absolutely perfect in taking this step. So if 99.9% .9 of me says, okay, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm that way, and okay, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm almost utterly convinced. Well, I can tell you the one-tenth of 1% will eat compulsively again. It has to be 100%. There can be no reservations. It must be complete, and it must be taken in the heart. In the deepest gut, the deepest part of you, that's where the step must be taken. An admission, a complete admission of complete powerlessness. So when we're in meetings and we hear things, and I've heard them, well, I'm imperfectly abstinent. Imperfectly abstinence? How is imperfect abstinence entire abstinence? Th that doesn't exist. That, that boggles my mind that somebody thinks they can get away with reading what is quite clearly understanding what entire means and then deciding not to follow the definition of what entire abstinence means. That stuff will run riot. I'm, I'm imperfectly abstinent. Well, that's like imperfectly pregnant. Uh, there's a sperm and there's an egg and they get together and now I'm not, but then the same sperm and the egg somehow get, uh, you know, again, we get connected again and then I'm not. No, every time you need a new sperm and egg, okay? It, it doesn't get to just kind of come in and out of pregnancy 
as you as you decide, as you define it. That's not the way it works. You got to start the process again. So what people will say is, well, they're imperfectly abstinent. And what do they mean? Well, I'm not binging like I used to. I'm doing better. Well, you know, my slips don't count because it's not like I used to do. They're just slips, so I, I don't count that. I'll just keep counting myself as as abstinent. Excuse me, that's not entire abstinence. You're deciding not to follow the directions of the book. You're a glutton. That's what got you here. Why do you get to make up your own definitions of words and your own way of practicing the program? It might be better to do exactly what the big book tells you to do. And so clearly you can hear that that's self-well running riot. Uh, Another will be that you'll hear somebody define their abstinence differently. One day it's one thing, and one day it's another, and another day it's another. Well, that also got you in program. My idea of having eating this or not eating that or eating this or whatever, that got me here. I'm powerless. If I'm powerless, I don't get to keep changing what I feel like it should be. It doesn't work that way. We need to work it exactly the way AA works it. And if we decide to just kind of put our own little spin on it, uh, we'll get that result, what self-will always gives us. Um, Another way to give it away, people, and you'll hear this in programs, somebody will start their share, they'll share and they say, well, you know, I've been, I've been abstinent, oh, I've been abstinent three years. Now I've been abstinent from sugar for three years and uh, for about a year and five months and seven days, you know, I've been abstinent from this. And they, they start qualifying and they go on and I'm like, you don't, listen, you don't get any extra points for that, okay? You never were abstinent until you are abstinent. Entire means entire. You don't need to qualify what entire means. Entire means entire. So you don't get to keep, well, let's put this qualifier on it, then I'll put this, and I'll have about a third qualifier. And in the end, I'm going, um, I don't even know if they're abstinent at all, but they surely, they don't sound like they're entire abstinence. They're not even claiming it. Don't say it's inabstinent, but it, it only means certain things. You, you don't get to define it, you see. It has to be defined the way the big book says. So what does it mean? Well, if, uh, if, you, if I went to an AA meeting, I don't think they get to decide what they feel like abstinence, uh, sobriety is for them today. Well, it's one thing today. Uh, I'm sober because I'm uh, only drinking on weekends today. Really? Or um, I'm sober because, you know, I'm only drinking some cheap wine. Um, no, no, that doesn't qualify either. But we'll hear that kind of uh, equivalent in OA. No, it has to be entire. So for me, what I do is I simply, um, I, somebody asks me to sponsor them, and I, you know, we kind of go over very briefly what I do. Um, so I let them know very briefly that I'm not going to be their friend, I'm not going to be their counselor, I'm not going to be their therapist, I'm not going to be their attorney, I'm not going to be their financial advisor, I'm not going to be anything but their sponsor. I'll do that well, um, but I won't do these other things. So do they want what I have? I'm going to take them through the big book exactly as best I understand it, what the big book tells me to do, and then they can get what I got. If they're interested, fine. If they're not interested, fine. That's fine. But I'm, I'm not going to take them through the OA literature. I came in program in 1982. I got absent in 1986. Trying to do it with the OA literature got me four years of in and out, you know, periods when I was not eating compulsively and eating compulsively again. And it was when I met Joe and Charlie in 86, learned exactly what the big book was about, followed those directions, and I've been absent for the last 27 years. So... I'm going to give you what I got, but I'm not going to give you what I don't have. So in this talk, you'll hear, at times you'll hear things that you'll say to yourself, well, that doesn't, that doesn't agree with the OA literature. It's, she's saying something different than what the OA literature says. And I'll tell you right up front, that's true. I worked the program according to the big book. 
Anytime the OA literature is in deviance from this big book, I find that to be the disease, and I do not follow that. So I follow the directions of the big book. So just telling you so that you'll know. All right, so the first thing I'll do is, for me, abstinence is equivalent to sobriety. Sobriety in AA means you don't consume alcohol in any form, in any way, at any time. Pretty simple. Can't consume it. So we have this, it's equally simple. That's why we can't understand it. Equally simple. So one of the tasks I give that person that first talk, I tell them that I want them, we kind of go over what their food plan will be until I talk to them tomorrow. Uh, something pretty safe. It sounds like, okay, we'll get you through it for the day. I want you to go home and I want you to take out a piece of paper. And I want you to take this piece of paper and I want you to write down on this piece of paper anything and everything you've controlled successfully with your food. Anything and everything that you haven't controlled. Everything you would hope to control but haven't really tried. Anything around control. Anything that has an issue of power over it, because control is about power. And I know that you don't have power. So I'd like you just to give me all these foods. Just list them out. Just list them out. Brainstorm. Don't worry. Put them all down. So you put those all down. You read doctor's opinion. You call me up the next day. So for me, it's a very simple task. Let's look at what is the common ingredient or ingredients in these foods you're talking about. What are those things? Those things are the equivalent of alcohol for the alcoholic. Whatever they are, they're what you cannot consume at any time, in any way, in any form. That's entire. You must have entire abstinence from those key ingredients that are in your food. So in my case, my primary substance was sugar, artificial sweeteners, anything sweet. My tongue does not know the difference between artificial sweeteners and sugar. It's not that smart. The brain isn't there in the tongue. So I know I can't put sweetness on my tongue because that triggers already the phenomenon of craving. I can't handle intense sweetness in my mouth. Can't handle it. Can't happen. So um, I need to abstain from anything that's sweet, which would include both sugar and artificial sweeteners. Done deal. It's pretty simple. We just don't like that. That's the way we don't want to do it. But it's there. So for me, then, if let's say I put down, let's say I'll just put 20, uh, 20 these food items, and I put them down, and, I, and when I talk to the person, I look down, and 18 of them has the sugar artificial sweeteners in it. Well, what would that mean? What would that tell me, Ruth, if, if just about everything that I consume and binge on has got sweet, a lot of sweetness in it? Would tell me I can't handle sweetness. I can't handle it. It's pretty simple. You know, alcoholic drinks a lot of liquid, 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 liquid. No problem. There's only one thing that he puts liquid in his body. He cannot seem to be able to handle it. It's called alcohol. He can handle water. He's never binging on water. He doesn't have a problem with water. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he doesn't go out some milk. I don't know. Can't, it does no problem. But there is one substance that he cannot consume, and that's alcohol. So in my case, it's that equally simple. I put these substances in my body, and I can't handle one thing that comes in my body. I can eat, I can eat many things. I uh, really don't have any problem with Brussels sprouts. I never think about them. I never question. I never stack a side, of hot, a side and say, I only can eat this and try to not eat the rest. I eat them maybe, I don't know, three or four times a year. Never, never, ever thought about binging on Brussels sprouts, so that's not on my list. I mean, uh, simply it's just this vegetable, a little seasoning on it, never have a problem with that. But if I have something that has some added sugar into it, added into that, manufactured to make it sweeter than it's naturally supposed to be, I can't handle it. So I cannot eat anything that has any of that added refined sugar, artificial sweeteners. can't put it in my body. I must have entire abstinence from it. That simple. It's that 
Okay. So again, that seems to be kind of difficult for us. And that's where that's where the you know the the feet hit the pavement at this point. This is where we really start putting it into practice. So we, I really go with the person. We go over this list. We find out whatever are those one, two, or three. There could be more than three, but usually it's just one, two, or three key ingredients. We now have to have a food plan that does not have those key ingredient ingredients in any form, in any way in our food plan. That gives us hundreds of options every day that we can eat, but we can't eat any of these one, two, or three ingredients in any food. You know, I've been absent 27 years. There have been a lot of new products that have come out that have sugar, artificial sweeteners added to them, and I don't have to try them and add them to my list. People say, well, I had to add something more to my list. I don't ever have to add anything to my list. I already found out up front what it was that I couldn't put in my body in any form in any way, and it is this added sugar and artificial sweeteners, and I don't put anything in my body, any form, in any way that has that in it, so I don't have to add anything to the list. I already figured out up at the very beginning what is the problem. So it's not individual food items, you know, this food and this food and this food. That's a way for the disease to continue because you have to keep sampling all the new products that has that substance in it. And guess what? There you are off and gone, running again and say, well, I have to add it. Well, you might not get that far. You might be dead. I've gone to some people's funeral in OA that tried that approach. doesn't work. So the key is to find out exactly what are those few key ingredients. What are they? Usually one, two, or three things. The food industry spends $8 billion a year learning what they are and how to most effectively get them into every food. If they can get all three of them into it, it's perfect because they make more money. It's not about our welfare. It's just they're about making money. So they've learned, and if they spend $8 billion a year to learn what it is, hmm, well, that should tell us something. And they have these three key ingredients that they try to put in. There may be something else occasionally, but almost always it's these one, two, or three things. So that would give us how simply to do this. So, you know, I think let's try to see what would happen if I had a phone call with this person that had come in the meeting last night, newcomer, just come in, and she's just come into the, into the meeting, and I've talked to her, and she's gone home, and she's to eat this, uh, the food that she planned to eat for the night. She's now called me up. She has read doctor's opinion. She has created her list, and she's going to talk to me and see what we're going to go through. So let's see if we can kind of get an example of what that's like. So uh, let's see if we've got somebody else. Let me see if I can find a newcomer on the line maybe that could maybe, maybe just call me and see what we come up with. Ring, ring. Oh, hi, hi. This hi, Ruth. Ruth. How are you doing? It's Marsha. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm glad you called. That's really exciting. How did it go since last night? Well, it, it went, went very well. I mean, nothing too surprising on my list. But I, I've got okay. my list for you, and I read the doctor's opinion, so here I am. Okay, so you were, were you at, did you stay on the food plan you, you said you would talk, you told me about yes. from last night? Okay, good. Yes, so I, that's good. Okay, great. All right, so let's start off with the first thing. Let's just go through the list because we need to get that clarified so that we can understand what doctor's opinion means. All right, can you just read your list to me? And I'll just sure, sure. Okay, my down. binge foods are uh, I have cake, brownies, cookies, donuts, chocolate, uh, cinnamon rolls, ice cream, potato chips, pizza, any fried foods, bread, pasta, um, biscuits, bagels, sugar-free candy I have a problem with, um, also sugar-free ice creams and sugar-free pastries. Um, really, just that's, that's my list, mostly. Okay. Mac and cheese, okay. I got that on there, too. 
Okay, that sounds like a good, good list. All right, when you look at that list, can you, when you look at it, can you see anything that seems to be a, just a key ingredient in that food that you just popped up? If you look, read the ingredients label of all those things, and you looked at that, all those ingredients labels, you would find something that almost always pops in there that you seem to see that word on that, that ingredient label. What is a key ingredient in those food that seems to be common? Do you have any idea what that would be when you look it over? Well, it's pretty clear to me that it's sugar. Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I uh, was trying to count the number, and I think I counted everything but maybe one thing on there. That seems to pop up. So when you say sugar, what do you mean when you say sugar? Well, anything, you know, that was manufactured that, that's got actually raw refined sugar in it. I mean, cookies, obviously. Everything that I listed at the top, those are my big, big all-time things. Those are the things that I know I've got a problem with. I know I... I know when you told me that you know I cannot control the amount of food that you know when I eat this I can't control the amount that I take. So that's like number number 1 on the list. It's something that I've had a problem with since I was a kid, so I know it's a problem. Okay, what do you mean when you say you can't control it? Tell me what that means to you. Well, I know that that just once I eat it, it's just uh, that's all I can do is just I can't stop eating it until I'm to the point of uh, I can't move anymore. Um, so that it just I, I want to just have one of them, but I can't. I mean, I think I'm gonna. I try to have just one of them, but I end up eating either half of it or the whole box or the whole bag or whatever. So you know, I, I my intention is not to overeat, but I always end up eating it. Okay, so it's pretty clear you can't handle sweetness in your mouth. You put that extra sweetness, something that act that where they the the food has put extra sweetness beyond what it would naturally possess. You can't handle it. You're telling me that for absolutely you're convinced of that. Absolutely convinced or not? I'm convinced that that's my problem. Okay, great. So that's what we're saying is if you put anything that has this refined sugar in it or some artificial sweeteners, because that's that hide you know really jacking up that. Uh, taste the sweetness in your mouth. So you're agreeing that that is a problem? Yes, it is a problem. Okay, even the artificial sweeteners? Yeah, it is, although I think I can handle, you know, soda. I know soda's got um, artificial sweeteners in it, but I only only have one can of soda at lunch and maybe one at dinner, so I don't think that's really the problem. a problem for me. It's the, the sugar-free candy, the sugar-free ice cream. I know that that's a problem for me. Okay. So soda, you think you can handle something that's got artificial sweeteners in it, specifically soda, and that would be not a problem because you're actually not binging on that item. Right. Right. Well, let me give you a story. This is my story. And so I found, I thought that was true, and it wasn't. That's not my story, okay? My tongue doesn't know the difference between artificial sweeteners and sugar. And the real reason I wanted to keep eating artificial sweeteners is because it didn't have calories. And since my focus was on diet mentality, I could drink the soda because they wouldn't give me calories, which meant I could not put weight on. But the, pro- pur- the purpose of this program is not to lose weight. You will lose weight automatically if you're abstinent in the way that God wants you to do it, but it's not on your terms, not you running the show. So to think we can get away with something means we're trying to play the game of control. So if I put something in my body that has artificial sweeteners in it, it may mean that I do not binge on it, 
but it has a minute amount of sugar in it, and it has an appetite uh, stimulant in it. They put that in all sodas. So it will stimulate the appetite, and it will have sugar, which then generates you eating or drinking some sugar because you put the artificial sweeteners in, even though the artificial sweeteners you may not have binged on. Does any of that make sense, or you think maybe that's just kind of silly what I'm telling you? Well, I don't know. I've been I've been drinking it for 30 years, and I really don't think I have a problem with it. I I I've been I've also dieted with it, so I mean I I know you said that that's kind of like a diet mentality, but it's just I don't know how am I supposed to you know am I supposed to drink water now? Ew. Well, yeah, that indicates you might have a problem with the soda because if it's not a problem, you give it up just to try and see what would happen for the next 30 days because, okay, she has 27 years. I don't have any time. Maybe I'll just try it. But the fact that you don't want to do this, that this is something that you don't think is necessary, usually the degree of of resistance is usually the degree in which you're addicted to something because Mm. if it's not a problem, you give it up without any trouble. So would you be willing to give it up for 30 days? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you don't sound real convinced. Well, I, I'll I'll try it for thirty days and I'll see what happens. I mean, I really want what you have, so uh, I I I don't think it's a problem, but I'll I'll try it for thirty days. Okay, all right. So we're gonna do no out of this added sweetness. Put it in our mouth because it's so common. Okay, and if you don't buy into it, at least try it and see what happens. Act as if, as we say in program. Okay, now let's look over the list. Is there any other key ingredient that you see on this list besides sugar, artificial sweeteners? Is there anything else that seems to pop up all, all the time? If you well, I had, I had the the breads and pastas and, and, and biscuits and bagels. Um, so, so I, I guess that, that wheat might be a problem for me too. Okay, all right. So wheat's a problem. That's a possibility. Uh, is it all forms of wheat, or is it the processed white flour, or do you know? Do you differentiate? I, I don't know. I think it's probably just white flour. You know, but, you're, okay, but you're not sure. You're not sure. Yeah. So in that case, since you're not sure, definitely it's white flour. You can tell that, but you're not sure of the other. So, again, give it 30 days. Go ahead and put take away all the wheat and just see how your body reacts to it. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, we always... Just give it up and see what happens, okay? You're not resisting me as much as you did with the artificial sweeteners. Thank you. I can't believe that. Okay. Fine, yeah. Okay, we think we have some. Okay. Anyway, so, um, so we're going to, so we'll do all wheat. Anything else on that list? Do you see anything else? I, I see, a, I hear a couple other things, but you tell me. Do you, do you hear anything or not hear anything? Do you, well, do you read anything? I guess the fat in it too. There's, there's the fried foods. Um, the the chips, so maybe some fat and salt, maybe mm-hmm. crunchy stuff. Right. When you read this, um, it basically most everything that you read has trans fat, which and trans fat is just a substance that the food industry puts in food to keep it to to last. So you can put it on the grocery shelf for a year. You bring it home, let it sit in your cupboard for a year. You open it up and fix it, and you can eat it. So it's not it's an artificially made substance in the lab to make sure food never spoils so they can increase their profits. And it's, it's so trans fat is not got any nutritional worth. And so those things, they tend to add to the substance because they like the, the taste of fat is something that a lot of people get into. So most everything you read had some fats in it. 
okay? So at least, there are certain fats we have to have in our bodies, omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 fatty acids. We understand that. But we don't need things like trans fats, and we can live without saturated fats. So definitely there are certain fats that you mentioned that you can't eat, okay? Mm-hmm. So we can't right. say all fats, but you're talking about the fats that you're going to find in all the items on your list. So definitely give up those types of fats that you have prevalent in your list. So we would say trans fats, saturated fats. Let's not eat those things. So you can eat other healthy fats, but not them. And you said the last thing is salt. Again, most everything on your list has got salt in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, true. right, we have taste buds of salt also, and that can be triggered. And so, again, that would have to be on your list. All right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from your list, and you're agreeing that you're going to have a food plan that's not going to have any sugar artificial sweeteners in it, no wheat products, None of these trans-saturated fats, the kinds that our body doesn't have to have ever, and salt, added salt, because, of course, our body needs some salt, but just what's naturally in food is always plenty. Okay, so you're going to create a food plan. With that, you've got hundreds and hundreds of options. And so what I need you to do is create a food plan in which you're going to give a, just write it down and then tell me when you call me what you're going to have for the next 24 hours. Okay. But it can't right. have these items. We've got four items here. We've got four things. You can have anything as long as these four items are not in the food. Right. Okay. Okay. And you call and tell me what it is. Now, let's say something comes up and unexpectedly have a change. Then just give me a call and tell me what the change is. We can't do spontaneous eating in program. That is problems. It's impulsive stuff. Even if I'm not home, leave it on my machine that, you know, something came up, blah, blah, and this is what I'm going to eat. Because that's to help you, because if you call, you're like, do I really have to change this? I'm going to have to call and tell her again something I'm going to be doing. And if you continually are changing your meals all the time, that would indicate a problem. Why do you have to change a meal two or three times before you finally eat it? So that's oh. fine. Create a plan. Call, call it in when we do our, we, our daily talk. And then if you need to change it, just call. Even if I'm not home, leave the message, you know, what it is, and we can always talk about it later if I'm not home at that time. Okay. But what if I'm with friends or family and I don't want them to know that I'm doing this? I mean, can I just call you afterwards? Can I just... Really for now, this isn't for life. I'm not going to say that for the rest of your time on planet Earth you'll have to call in. But for today, again, give it 30 days. We're okay. going to keep talking about this. But okay. the disease wants to find a way to get in, and the way to do that is have you work on your own little thoughts and designs, which are you're going to have to learn some things. So that's why you call it in. I'm not, I'm not going to be a dictator and say you have to eat certain things. Actually, everybody I sponsor has a different food plan. Nobody has the same one because all my job is is to find out with you what are those key ingredients you can't put in your body. Then you create your food plan. You're going to create it. You create it. And that's fine as long as you don't put that substance in. That's where we start. That's the basics. You must not put those ingredients in. But you need somebody to hear that because you'll start thinking things make sense, like I thought, and they don't make sense at all. Okay. okay. All right. I, I know I don't hear you excited about that either. Well. But you know what? Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's okay. That's okay. I was going to try and I had something in mind. I was going to have a protein bar. Because they're supposed to be good, right? I mean, that was going to be on my plan for today. Okay, why don't you get that from your cover come and then read the ingredient list to me over the phone. I'm going to tell you that they usually add sugar or artificial sweeteners in them. 
Okay, but, but it's to me, and I'll be able to tell you by what you tell me if I hear sugar. Because sugar is going to be in, in 25 different words on your list. One of the things the food industry does, they don't just say sugar. They use it code words, and they break it out into maybe four or five types of sugar through the food label. So they don't just say sugar, which is what it is at the top number ingredient one. If you read this, you would find that you would be finding words in there that mean sugar. And I can send you a list. I have a list of about 25 words that are commonly used when you read labels, and you need to have that with you when you go to the store. Okay. Uh, sure All right, I've got it right reading. here. And the first thing, it's protein blend, which is whey protein concentrate, whey protein isolate, milk protein isolate, chocolate-flavored coating, malitol. Chocolate-flavored coating. What do you think cho- chocolate? Do you think you mentioned that on your list? What is, what is it in chocolate? Well, by it in and of itself, there it's just, it, it has no sweetener. Um, so, I mean, can you not have... No, no, no. All chocolate has sugar in it. Okay. So you're already done now. If you've got something that says chocolate on the label, you've got sugar in your body if you eat it. Oh, okay. All right. Huh. You're, go- you're going to be responsible for reading your labels, okay? And you... Do not go to the store and buy anything without reading the labels. Now, yeah, this is going to add time to your grocery trips initially. Later, you'll get pretty good at it, and it'll just be very quick. You look, boom, I see it right now. Um, And also, you'll find yourself, you will, you will. You'll you'll get used to it. And, in fact, I rarely buy things that are processed, rarely, because my my plan doesn't need all that. Because I just, all that stuff on that label, with my best efforts, the food industry will create new ways to have it with new terms, and it's hard to keep up with that sometimes. So um, I can get more detailed, but keeping it simple on this first call, you've got to read the labels. You can't buy it if it's got anything in there that's got salt in it. That'll be sodium will be in the word. If you see things like trans fats, you see that on the label. Um, you see some things where it's got, you know, just high fat and you don't know what it means, or you can see it's got loaded up with sugar, but you're reading a label and you don't know what it means. Well, it's in there somewhere because there's no explanation why if you go to a grocery store that that you pick up an item and it's three or four times more sugar than everything else of that same food item, then you've got to know something's up. But the bottom line is to be really safe here, probably keep it simple. Simple, simple, simple. Okay. Okay. All right, so for now, why don't you give me what you're going to eat for the next 24 hours? Okay, all right. You're going to have to write that down, and and if you want, you can kind of think about this and then call back um, after you've done that, but I I do need to hear what you're going to eat for the next 24 hours. But again, you can eat anything as long as it doesn't have sugar artificial sweeteners, wheat, saturated trans fats, and salt added to them, those last things, they're added to them. So put up any food plan you like, and that's fine. Okay. What do you, how, oh. how, uh, how do you think about all this? Well, I can, I'm ready. I mean, I can, I can do it. I can do it, and I, I'll just give you what, what I'm going to eat. Um, I already wrote down what I was planning to eat for the day, but already I can see I have to make some changes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, well, I was um, going to have uh, two eggs for breakfast. Uh, I'm going to have two strips of bacon. I'm going to have coffee, and I'm going to have a tablespoon of half and half with that. Okay, and wait, wait, wait. Are you done with that breakfast? Yes. Okay, all right. So let's look at the breakfast. 
Okay, we've got two problems there. First problem, bacon. Bacon has saturated fat, salt, and sugar. They've, mm. added, they've added the salt and the sugar. So you've got all three of your ingredients in, one, in that substance. Okay. All right. Well, all right, I'll take the bacon out. Okay. Then let's look at your coffee. You're adding something to your coffee half and half. Need to look at that label, but you're fi- you're going to probably find that they've been adding some fats to that. Can you do something other than half and half into your coffee? Um, I guess I can get some skim milk and use that instead. Okay, I can hear you're not excited again, but that's fine. Yep. Yes, do the skim milk again. All that you, again, you're going to be very careful because one of the ways that sugar gets into our our food plan is not the obvious. Well, I'm going to eat a donut. Well, that's a no-brainer. But it's it's uh, ketchup and barbecue sauce and and coffee well, creamer. Or I was going to go to a steakhouse tonight. Mm-hmm. Well, those things have sugar in them. Uh, ketchup always has sugar, or b- barbecue sauce here at least. There might be one part of the country they don't add so much, but definitely where we're at. Um, and then uh, coffee creamer is one. It has sugar in it. I mean, they've, a- they've added it in that. That's an automatic high fructose corn syrup is what they put in them, and that's just sugar. So, so you're going to have to find something, yeah. And, you're, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to force you to go, oh, my God, are you kidding me? But, but what, this is the good news. The good news is you will begin to start feeling better because what you're going to do, now you're going to go through detox, and it might, it might feel worse before it gets better. I'm just going to tell you, detox. As you go through each day, it's going to be kind of tough. And it's going to take a few weeks, two to three weeks, to clean this out all of your body. But once you go through this, you will not have physical craving anymore. Mm. It's gone. It will never have to come back as long as you don't put the substances in your body that we've talked about. So it's going to be a tough time. That's why you call me every day, why I want you to call other people in program, and why you're calling it in, why you don't make changes without calling first, because your body is going through withdrawal. Okay. There's nothing different than a heroin addict or a coke addict. You're going through withdrawal. But going through withdrawal, you get to the other side, we'll still deal with mental obsession. Step one, removes the physical allergy, illness, craving. And steps two through 12, remove the mental obsession. Okay. But right now, we're going to have to start with the basics. Okay. All right, well, should, can I add a banana into my breakfast then? You can, unless you have a problem with fruit. I've sponsored two people who can't even eat any fruits, even though they've not added, you know, fruits don't have anything added in it. But they had been so much on fructose and glucose and all the forms, they couldn't even put fruit in their body. But okay. if you're saying you can do that without binging, you've never had a problem, you might be able to eat fruits. Okay, yeah, I think I can do that. I've never eaten more than one piece of fruit at a time, so... Okay, we'll all right, then that would be fine. Okay. You can do that. Now, if you have any ideas and you don't know anything about nutrition, <clears throat> I just tell people uh, just go to the official governmental site for the United States government. That is their job is to present. They're the ones that do the, my, the pyramid and the my plate and all that stuff. USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, go there. And there they'll give you what is basic core nutrition. And they'll tell you what is a proper portion size. Okay. okay. You can go and look. It's not uh, It's not any outside enterprise. It's our tax dollars put it up to supposedly say what is the best of best of nutrition for our country. So go there if you want to kind of look and get a basic idea. Of, you know, just make sure you have proper nutrition. But I'll tell you, you need some protein. You'll need okay. some carbohydrates. And you'll need some fat. So protein builds and repairs muscle. Got to have it. 
carbohydrates is like putting fuel, is putting gas in your car, and that means vegetables, fruits, those are all carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, other things are carbohydrates. And, fat, and fats, again, some healthy, small amounts of healthy fats you'll need. But they'll go over that, and if you've got questions, you can ask me about it. And, um, and that's where you start. Okay, so then for lunch, I was going to have four ounces of chicken. I was going to have a cup of rice. I was going to have two cups of broccoli and a half a cantaloupe. Okay. All right. So, uh, so when we look at that, um, as far as the rice, um, you, you, if you can, and it may not be a problem for you, white rice, but you may want to think about something like brown rice because uh, it's a more healthier version. But to start off with, and if you've never binged on rice, start there but you may want to consider brown rice, okay? And then okay. you looked at, you talked about uh, your um, portion size. We can get into that. Um, usually the FDA, it'll be four ounces cooked. I mean, four ounces uh, raw, three ounces cooked. So I don't go into McDonald's, but if you did and you ordered a quarter pounder, they will give you a three-ounce piece of hamburger. Why? Because it's 25% fat, and when they put it on the grill, the fat leaves, and now you're left with three ounces. So you start with a four-ounce. But by the time it's served to you and you pay for it, you're paying for a three ounce. They put a quarter ounce because they claim when they stick it on the grill, it's four ounces. So usually about three ounces is serving size. So what you're saying is you want one and a third serving sizes. Okay. Meat. Okay. All right. Um, this you will find out from the USDA that uh, it's it is th- four ounces raw, but three ounces cooked. I mean, it could be more exact, you know, certain. But overall, we just use that as a basic guideline. And broccoli. And broccoli, uh, usually, generally, half half cup cooked, cup cup raw is kind of a normal amount on general. So if you have two cups, is that cooked? Is that what you're doing, or are you having it raw? Um, I was going to have it cooked. Two ounce, two cups cooked is that's going to put you at more than a, a, a serving size. So um, sometimes people have to say a cup, huh? But it's broccoli. How can we not like broccoli? Well, I know. I like broccoli. I, it's great. I, I like it. But I, I try never to overeat a particular portion um, because I can get back into, that's a subtle way the disease gets me back into because I'm overeating on a particular substance. Even though it's healthy, then I really want the thing I really want because just the act of overeating generates a desire to more overeat what I really want. And, you know, if you just look at it from a logical point, try two different vegetables, not one, because you'll have a better nutritious meal. So you could try two instead of one. Um, so you could try something else, but uh, you're, you're eating a lot of broccoli. So what if you put in a different vegetable there in addition to broccoli? So to eat two different vegetables. Okay. Well, I'll put a cup of raw carrots in there. Okay. So a cup raw usually comes out, that's serving. And the broccoli, uh, you're saying cooked um, you you could start there, but understand you got two servings. So sometimes people eat two or thir- two or three servings. So we're okay with that. And then the cantaloupe, you said you wanted to eat a half of a cantaloupe. Yeah. Wow. So um, that's got to be a really 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 tiny cantaloupe to get a half of a cantaloupe to be one serving. So what if you measure this out, measured it out, and again uh, if you cut it up and put it in, usually half cup. Or some people go by ounces. That would be four ounces of cantaloupe. You can do it volume or weight, and that would be a serving size. So you've probably got, I'm going to guess, probably two or three servings there. Can you go down uh, to one serving? Yeah, boy, this is going to be a lot of work weighing and measuring, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. But you know what? Those eyeballs will never see the truth when you're an addict. So, yep, that's what we're going to do. Okay, okay. So it looks like you, we've not made many, many changes, but here we're just adding, we're going to change from one vegetable to two, and we're going to cut down on those portion sizes down to one portion size. Okay. Okay, okay. Okay, all right. What's your, what's your supper? Okay, well, dinner tonight I was going to go out with some friends, and, uh, well, now I know that portion size, I guess I'm going to have to, I was going to eat a small filet mignon, you know, just to, so I guess I will just cut that in half and take the rest home. Um, so the smallest size they have is seven ounces. So I figure I'll just, you know, cut it up. Cut it and, in half will be okay. You'll be pretty yeah. close. And then um, I'll, I'll, I was going to get a baked potato, but I know we talked about the fat. So um, I guess I won't eat the potato at all. Um I just thought I'll get a, a side of, of vegetables um, and then I'll get a salad with dressing on the side. Okay. All right, so let's look at that. Um, as far as the baked potato, some people, I've had people say, you know, I, I overeat everything. And so let's say the baked potato. And I said, well, what do you do? And they say, well, I, I put some butter on it and I put some sour cream on it and I put some cheese on it and Guess what? They've had three high-fat, high-salt items on top of the potato. And I said to them, well, what if you just eat the potato? You know, a little, maybe except you put some pepper on it if you're out, but just eat just the potato. And they're like, ooh, I would never eat over that. Well, that's the point. It's the items they put on top of it. So you can eat the baked potato if that's never been a problem, as long as you don't add these other things. Can you eat a baked potato with all that other stuff not being put on it? No, not really. Okay, well, but you will I someday. I hear you in your voice again. You will, but maybe now don't do it today. Okay, oh. right. And so then you're again about a four ounce, and usually the potatoes are served bigger, but eat it, you know, without all the stuff on it. And then the last thing you said was? Salad with dressing on the side. Okay, so look at the dressing. The dressing, they're going to try to stick in sugar, artificial sweeteners in your salad dressing. That's really common. Um and maybe some kinds of unhealthy fats. But uh, you can always order to be on the safe side. You can always order oil and vinegar. Okay. All right. You can have them give that to you. And in that, you need, it's, if it's a salad, side salad, a tablespoon is a serving. If it's a big salad for your whole meal, probably two tablespoons. So you can have them serve that on the side for you. That's good. Oil and vinegar and just about a tablespoon for a small salad. Okay? okay, now I have one more thing that I wanted to add, and I, they, I, I wanted to have a glass of wine, and I don't have a problem with alcohol, so I just want to be able to have a glass of red wine with, with dinner. Okay, well, with any alcohol, there's fermentation. To make alcohol, you have fermentation, and a byproduct of all fermentation, no matter what it is, has sugar. That's a byproduct of all fermentation. So if you put wine in your body, you're putting sugar in your body. So when we talked about sugar artificial sweeteners, we didn't just mean solid form. We also mean all the liquid forms of it. And you would be putting sugar in your body. So you don't consume alcohol, not because you're an alcoholic, but because you've already told me you cannot have sugar, and that is putting sugar in your body. Okay. All right, well, then I won't have the wine. I'll, I'll just have, like, coffee or tea and... Um... I'll just I'll I'll have that instead with with no artificial sweetener or anything in it. Okay, okay. all right. This well, sounds great. I'm excited for you. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess that's it. I hope I can do it for 30 days. Well, actually, you won't be able to do it. That's the whole idea. Because what you have told me is you can't stop. You can't right. stop. So you won't do it. You're going to have to have something greater than you do it. it at this point, it can be pretty vague. But something yeah. greater than you is going to have to get you through this because you are going to go through withdrawal. Um, it is going to be difficult. You're going to have to learn new ways of eating. Um, so it, it will be tough. That's why you call me. And also, you know, I told you a couple of names. You know, I pointed out, call those people. I know that they're recovered. They go to the meeting. They'll be able to support you too. So okay. You'll be really close to us. Um, but the, the, the positive in all of this is immediately within a few days you'll begin probably to start feeling better while starting to feel worse simultaneously if it makes sense but you will so um at this point i bet how about you and i in this conversation marcia we, we would have gone on and talked about doctor's opinion and spent the rest of this probably uh an hour i, I would just say to everybody usually i'm going to just set aside an hour every day for these 30 days or longer to work with a person so how about if we close this and then we'll just open it up for question and answer of either of us thank you marcia good job except i thought you could be more obnoxious but good job i could be if i won't <laughs> but we don't have enough time <laughs> okay <laughs> all right leah we'll close it and anybody wants to ask us any questions uh-oh i don't hear leah on the phone <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruth and Marcia, for this eye-opening presentation. Very much appreciated. Now we'll open the line for any questions that people may have for Ruth this morning on the topic of entire abstinence. You can press star 1 to unmute. Hi, this, this is Marcia from Western North Carolina. Yes, go ahead. But I'm, I guess I'm coming back. And, you know, I, I could follow pretty much, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in another fellowship. I've worked with Joe and Charlie. I'm pretty familiar. Are you there? Familiar I'm, with the staff? Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. So when I got abstinent in how years ago, I keep on getting music. That's weird. Somebody's on hold. Oh, okay. Um, you can hear me now? Yes, I can hear me. I can okay. hear you now. And if you want, just let well, here's my us. question. Okay, go ahead. I I went on a very strict food program and how, in terms of weighing and measuring, I lost a lot of weight really quickly, and then I started losing my hair. And I went to a nutritionist before and you know, during the food program. And the tr nutritionist said that it was an okay food program. Pretty much, it was along the lines you did. But I am now bigger than I was when I got into how. And it seems to me if I go back into a similar food program, I'm concerned I'll run into the same health issues. That, you know, I don't, like one of the things I like about one of the pay-for-weight programs is that the the amounts change as you lose weight. So I'm at, you know, I mean, pretty much the the quantities you were talking about were quantities that I ate when I was in Hal. I lost weight so fast that I started, I mean, I could fill my a lunch baggie with hair when I showered three months later. So, you know, I happen to like my hair, 
I don't think it's a good sign that I, would, I could pull it out in handfuls. So I, I'm concerned about, I would like you to speak about the, the portion aspect of your share because that's where I think I got into trouble before was that I was eating not enough of something, that's for sure. Thank you. And I, you know, I love hearing you talk. I love hearing about Joe and Charlie. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, and two, when you ask the question, if you want to tell us if you want it for Marsha or me or both, uh, I'll start off. I guess Marsha can chip in. Um, as far we don't want anybody bald in the program. Uh, I, I I don't think that's probably the best option. So I don't know what caused you to lose hair. I, obviously, I have no idea. Um, it may have had nothing connected with the food plan. I don't know. Or maybe it had something to do with the food plan. Um, I know I had a sponsor once that uh, was losing hair, and she fought, she was abstinent for a long time, and it had nothing to do with her food plan. It had something else. So again, I I don't know what that's about, um, but I well, will. I do. Say I do know. I added more protein and more fat, and I stopped losing my hair. So I okay. do know that. Okay. Well, then that would be fine. If you have a condition that would require that you make an adjustment to your food plan, obviously so. Um, okay. You're not going to – if you're having a food plan that directly causes you to go bald, obviously that's inappropriate, and you would make an adjustment, okay? Okay. Okay. Right, that's, so, that's all I need because that's, I think, you know, th then I got onto a slippery slope because I wasn't with the same sponsor and, you know, everything went downhill from there. So, you know, yeah, I wasn't the working – the thing is you need to be honest about what's happening, talking to yep. your sponsor about it. She, I'm sure, would say, well, why don't you go to a doctor and try to find out what's the cause of it? I mean, I'm sure that would be the first thing. And then through that discussion, through time, seeing the doctor, seeing if there's a reason for it, and then if the food plan has to be adjusted because of a medical condition or something like that, it is adjusted. There's nothing wrong and, with that. If okay. you're impulsively doing it and not talking about it, then that gets you in a dangerous situation because you're just acting on your own ideas. Right. That's where I got into trouble. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Did, Thank Marcia, you. Did you want to say anything or not? Well, uh, obviously, um, it, some people have special needs. Hello? Yeah, not everybody has the same. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Not everybody has the same, um, can handle, so I know some people who followed one of the official uh, program diets way back when before it became unofficial and turned bright yellow and her doctor told her to get off that food plan immediately. Um, yeah. So it, obviously everybody's an individual and has individual needs and some people have do have medical conditions that require medical professionals to help them in this. But like Ruth said, it's staying honest and and being on top and having the, the, the conversation so that you can get on a food plan that is going to be working for you. All right, and the one. Okay, we Sorry? lost you. Yes. What? I think I think we lost her, Marcia. Oh, okay, okay. Let's go to the next question. Yes, next question. Everybody, please remain muted unless you're the one asking the question. Please. Star one to unmute. Who's next? This Leia. is Susan. I hear Susan. Who else did I hear? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, mute yourself uh, until after Susan, please. Thank you very much. Susan, go ahead. Susan, go ahead. Thanks so much uh, to all three of you for your service. Uh, Ruth, two quick questions. One is, 
In early abstinence, I noticed that when I had vinegar, I only would have my salad, salad with oil and vinegar, that vinegar, I never binged or even overate, but I, I, I just noticed I wanted to eat more. And I did a search on it, and I could have sworn that I saw that some vinegar, just regular vinegar, not salad dressing, just vinegar alone, balsamic vinegar, has sugar in it. And I don't know if I'm hallucinating that, because you mentioned that vinegar is okay. So that's one thing. And the other thing was, I'm curious... I very happily weigh and measure my food and have been doing so for quite some time. But I just wonder, after 27 years, you talk about broken eyeballs. I suspect my eyeballs may be broken. Um, I wonder after 27 years if you still uh, weigh and measure. And those are my questions, and thanks so much. Okay, first question, yes, there is some vinegar where they add sugar to it, and there is balsamic vinegar can have sugar added to it. So it's always important um, to, you know, look at your food labels, and when you're at a restaurant, do not make the chef in the restaurant in charge of your food plan. That's not a good option. So you ask the waiter that question, you know. Um, you know, some people will bring their own salad dressing to the restaurant because then, because it is hard to make sure that, because that, they'll say, oh, it's okay. I mean, they're thinking it's okay. Or the waiter is rushed, and he said, yeah, I checked with the, you know, chef back bad, but it's, you know, it's, and he maybe hasn't. So we're not going to expect them to understand this. So, yes, in that case, you would want to make sure that it doesn't, the vinegar does not have any sugar added to it. That's true. Or, you know, one of the, I lived overseas, and they don't even have salad dressing in that whole part of the world. Nobody does that. And they just do lemon juice. And they put lemon juice on their salad, and they eat it that way all the time. And, uh, and that's a favorite of mine also. So um, you will have to look and find, find that which will work. And the second question about weighing and measuring. Um, so that particular question is, is with Marsha, I was saying let's do it for 30 days because even though normally she probably would have given me a harder time, but people are like, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't need to get in a power struggle with you. Will you just do this for the next 30 days? And then after the 30, as we get in and, you, and you're doing this and you're starting to feel better, it's like, well, okay, now I have a different attitude than I did the first day. Um, so that's then start talking about, you know, extending it, you know, longer than 30 days. But I want them to at least agree to start off doing this practice. As far as weighing and measuring, uh, some people will always have to weigh and measure. It doesn't matter how long they're in program. We can go many decades and weighing and measure. Um, there are people that will use weighing and measuring as a way to use it as a diet. I'm going to weigh and measure so I can control, so I can get exactly what I want. And, and that's not, that's not going to work. I mean, your weighing and measure started off, but you're using it in order to control your food, which you can't control to get a certain result. So then I would have to work with a person on that particular issue um, because you're, you're going back into diet mentality and you're weighing and measuring in order to try to control and let's really talk about doctor's opinion. So, so we have to look at the issue. Some people use it in order to try to control their disease, which they can't do. Some people use it because they have to because they have never weighed and measured. And eventually, as Step 10 promises, you do get a neutral attitude around food. So as far as weighing and measuring, uh, we start out there, but help them see, because I can see that some of them immediately start viewing it as diet, and um, so I still have to help them work through changing that shifting view. As far as myself personally, um, at this point, I, 
I will say, let's, I'll give you an example. I go into the store and I buy a three-pound bag of apples, and I count up, and there's 12 in there. So I know three pounds divided by 12 equals four ounces. Now, I will tell you that I don't actually take each apple and, and weigh it out exactly. I eat each apple, and I may get 4.1 ounce. You know, I might get 3.8. I know I'm going to get approximately four ounces. So I do do that at this point. Um, I can tell they're all about the same size, and it has to be four ounces on average because three pounds divided by 12 equals four ounces. So I do those things um, in that way. Um, you know, but if I'm going to get something where I, I need to get somewhere it's a half cup of something and a cup of water, well, I'll measure that out because, you know, I, I still don't know. That's kind of a liquid form. It's harder for me to see. Um, so, so it's kind of a combination. I don't necessarily get out of scale and do that, but um, I, I do. If I know it's I bought a pound of something and I, you know, I go ahead and cut it into four pieces. I don't necessarily put it on a scale, but I, it's four equal pieces. I know that's, again, four ounces, because four times four equals 12 ounces. So, uh, so it's a semi combination at this point. So that kind of answers my question. I don't know. Marsha, do you want to add anything to it? No, I, uh, I didn't think a few years ago that I would be weighing and measuring my food, but I do. Um, and it's really the only way that I can I, – I know that I'm eating appropriately. Um, because I don't trust I don't trust myself I don't trust my my own will on this uh, if I just go eh, it's okay I mean I can I, I'll just I'll just you know throw that that serving in here I just I just don't trust myself I have always gotten myself into the worst problems with food on my best thinking so um, for me just just weighing and measuring. It's, it makes sense. It just makes sense for me these days because what I did before was not very sane. Uh, so this helps me stay sane and uh, helps me stay stay on track. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I have to turn things up. There are some foods today that I, I never thought I would eat in a million years. I mean, plain non-fat yogurt, really? I never thought for a moment that that would ever enter my body, but... I, I it's something that I eat almost regularly, um, and and I enjoy it. I really do. That's it. All right. Next question. Thank you, Susan. This, I there was something I didn't understand, but if you'd like me to wait because I want to allow others time, if you prefer, I will. Okay, I got lost now. Who am I talking to? This is Susan. I just I, there was something you said that I wanted you to elaborate on, but I okay. can also wait to give others a chance. Okay, it's up to you. All right. Well, then I'm going to ask you to elaborate. Thanks. So you said about the control issue, which is a dominant issue for me. Um, in terms of the weighing and measuring, can you say what you mean by that? I have no interest. It, it's for me. It's not about controlling my weight. I'm at a normal body weight, but I like control. I like the illusion, I should say, of control. And so, weighing and measuring probably gives that. Could you just say what you meant by that about the control aspect, and then I I will mute. Thank you. Okay. So I'm talking about the mind. If my mind says um, I'm going to weigh and measure, so I can control what I'm eating. I am going to do that, so I will get what I want. That's diet mentality. If you're using weighing and measuring in order to falsely believe that you now can control outcome by your actions, 
then that moves you away from a power greater than you to run the show because you believe now your success, as you define it, means you really don't need to turn your will and your life over to God. You're weighing and measuring and controlling everything. So that would be a problem. So, I mean, when I'm talking with somebody, that becomes apparent, and so I will have to talk to them about their attitude about weighing and measuring. So that's what I'm meaning. If weighing and measuring because you're out of control, you have no idea what's a proper portion size because if you, do, if you don't weigh and measure, you're going to slip and slide around until you've got two portions down there and think it's one. Obviously, you don't know what you're doing, and the weighing and measuring is assisting you. It is not your God, but it assists you to let you know what is proper. You can look down and see what is a portion size. Really? Is that a portion size? <laughs> People get puzzled. How could it be so little? Well, it's because you're reading so, lo- you're reading so much. So it's going to help you re-educate those eyeballs to understand what it looks like in its proper form, and it's, and it's important to do that. So it's, for me, I want to hear if anything about self-will comes back in in the discussion, I want to really address that with the person. And, of course, it's going to come back in because we're addicts, and that's what we come in with. So... I will talk with a person about their misuse of weighing and measuring in order to falsely believe that they can control outcome by using that practice. I will do that, and that's what I was referring to. Thank you, Susan, for the question. Now, Elizabeth, please. Thank you. Um, Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we'll take Elizabeth's question now, and then we'll come back around for others. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ruth, my question pertains to, um, I love uh, the process you walked us through with the list of binge foods, because that's exactly what my sponsor did with me. And But I have a couple of questions regarding it. Um, I uh, did not put salt on my list, but obviously, as you mentioned, salt is in an awful lot of the same foods that were listed in your example your um uh today so um do you uh recommend that people don't use salt at the kitchen table or is it just um in processed foods that's my first question the second question is um fermented foods you talked about uh alcohol being fermented and that never crossed my mind but i have a lot of people that are using these new fermented foods kimchi kefir um, so I'm wondering about that, even if they don't say sugar on the label. Um, and then this, the third part of my question is, when I went through the process that you went through with Marsha, um, I had a lot of dairy products, so we eliminated dairy from my diet um, rather than trans fat and saturated fat. And so I'm wondering if you've found that... Um, if, is that necessary to just eliminate dairy, or is it just certain aspects of dairy that would be high in um, saturated fat or, of course, trans fats in the, all, all the processed foods? I hope that's clear mm-hmm. um, what my question is. Right. So so Thank let's you. say start with salt. Let's say I'm talking with somebody who never has had a problem with salt. That That is not going to be one of her key ingredients. Well, then she would not have to worry about that because that's not an issue. If if it's an issue, then uh, Marsha's list, if you noted, 
most everything there had salt in it. Um, and again, the food industry is not stupid. They try to put in uh, these three things in as many things as they possibly can because people eat more of them and they make more profit. So her list had a lot of processed food, and processed food actually is where we get the majority of our salt. It's not actually the table salt because they always add it in because they sell more. So she's eating a lot of processed food, so she's eating a lot of salt, so that would be a problem. If it's not a problem, it's not a problem. You don't take it out. I'm not ever going to say to you, oh, take that out because that's a problem for many people. It's a, if it's a problem for you, you take it out. If it's not a problem for you, don't take it out. And so, like, for example, the, the issue of dairy. If, if dairy is a problem for you, take it out. If dairy is not a problem for you, then you don't have to take it out. Dairy, the whole, the whole issue of dairy. I mean, Marcia just mentioned nonfat plain yogurt. Okay? The salt is very small, and there's no uh, fat in it, and uh, lactose, which naturally occurs in dairy, is in it but no added sugar, artificial sweeteners in it, is in it. Okay, then and according to her food plan, that would be fine because she already knows what her, the key food ingredients that she can't consume, it does not have any of those in it so she can eat it. Another person maybe can't eat dairy. Maybe dairy was always a problem. So they need to take it out. The key is, is to take that list, uh, look and see what, is the, the, what are those key ingredients that you can't eat, then create a food plan that doesn't have those in it. That's the key. It's not about uh, me saying here on the line, oh, nobody can eat sugar or sweetness. I'm not going to tell you that. Or nobody can eat uh, added salt. No, I'm not going to tell you that. Or nobody should eat trans fat, saturated I'm not going to tell you that. Your food plan has to be that which does not have any in food, basic food ingredient that when you consume it, you have uh, an allergic reaction to, the, to it, which causes you to have craving for it. You must not put that in your food plan, regardless. So that's why all my sponsorees have different food plans, because we go from the premise, don't put those key food ingredients in your food. Now create a food plan, whatever food plan you want, as long as you don't put that in your food plan. So you're questioning about you know, the, the dairy and all that, that's really relative to if that plan can't be done. I mean, if, I mean, if that food can't be done, it can't be done. If it can be done, it can be done. I'm not an arbitrator of what you should eat. I, I'm not to tell you, you what you should eat. I'm going to tell you what you have already told me you can't eat, and I'll remind you when you try to go over there and do it anyway. It's a big room, and there's a little box in the, in the middle of the room, and it's got two or three things in it. And I'm going to say, wait a minute, you said you couldn't eat anything out of those, those two or three things. Eat anything else you want. But don't put it. Don't open that box. That's my job is to remind you. Don't go over there and open that box because I hear you want to open that box and get something out of it. Don't do that. You've got hundreds and thousands of options in this room, but don't go over there and get one of those those couple things in that box. That's what I tell you. But all those options out there, those hundred thousand options, they're yours, and and you can eat them. Um, as far as the fermentation, again, they would need to check to see exactly what's happened. Um, you know, again, terms you have to understand. The, the food industry does not want to be tied down into specific meanings of terms. So I'll give you an example. Natural. Natural is a bogus term. It means nothing. It, it, you can put it on for just about any claim you want, and uh, the FDA has no financing to actually patrol and keep people from doing, in effect, what is false advertising. So you put the word natural on a label, and it 
it has no it has no nothing. They can put natural on all kinds of stuff, and it's not natural. Natural flavorings, really, that's an oxymoron. There's nothing natural about somebody with a surgical craft in the lab making a, an artificial flavor. They used to call them artificial flavoring. They then decided to call them natural flavorings. They're the same thing. They're nat, they're artificial. So when you say that word, have them check out what really that means, okay? Because sometimes uh, words are used because it sells more product, but when you get to the fine print, it's not actually that meaning that. So um, any of these other things, have them just check it out to see if there's any byproducts of sugar and what they're claiming is fermentation. Because that's a big buzzword right now. Everything's fermented. That's great, and that's healthy. So uh, be careful. Just go and find out. That would be the person's responsibility. Okay? Thank you, you Elizabeth. Marcia? Okay, do you have anything, Marcia? Nope, sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have a question. This is Carolyn. I have some questions. This is Rifki. I have a question. I hear Rifki. I hear Carolyn. And prior to that. Uh, this is Pam. Pam. So let's go Pam, Carolyn, and Rifki, please. Pam, go ahead. Okay, um, in your opinion, and I'm not sure who the people who are speaking were, except uh, anyone who wishes to give me an opinion on this, um, for me, I think that I found that small, um, that sugar is a huge problem when it's in the form of desserts and all those dessert items. But in something like, let's say, for example, a breakfast cereal like Cheerios where there's a small amount or in a salad dressing that I might have in a restaurant, I don't think it's a problem. Is there a, a thing where it's a sort of a, a threshold where it's over a certain number of grams or a certain amount that for some people it can be a problem? Uh, that's my question. Okay. So if I was an alcoholic and I said to you, um, you know, I, I'm sober and I'm doing great. I'm just um, having a small, just a tiny bit of wine at night. Would you call me sober? No. No, absolutely okay. not. Not. Okay. So we're no different. If you have a problem, let's say you're sugar artificial sweet. Uh, okay, let's say you don't binge on that substance. But what happens is the substance goes in your body, which causes an allergic reaction, causing a craving for that substance, that substance being sugar artificial sweeteners. It's not the particular food we're focusing on. We're focusing on the key food ingredient that is like alcohol to your body. If you put something in that's not really what you really would ever binge on, let's say, I don't know, ketchup. You never binge on ketchup, but it's got sugar in it, which then generates that allergic reaction. So now you have a craving, and now you go get a donut. But you don't see a connection. You don't see putting a little bitty tiny bit of ketchup on something would yield you to eat a donut three days later. But I can tell you it happened to me and it happens to many people because the craving is still in the body and the body is going to go find, the mind's going to work it out to find that which you really want. So you keep generating the craving. The craving never stops even though you're not overeating the particular item, that particular item. You see, the disease is smarter than you are. The disease says, I'm not going to walk in the front door. I'm going to go in the back door, bite her ass, and she won't even know I was in the house. I'm going to have a little bit of that substance in her body. She's going to continue to want it, and she's going to go find what she really wants, and then she doesn't know there was a connection between the two. So as far as eating a little here and a little there, don't eat it. You can't tolerate it. You're addicted to that substance. Don't ever eat it in any form. 
That's what we're saying. Now, let's say maybe you can have uh, sugar as it naturally occurs in food. It's never had anything added to it. An example would be a piece of fruit that you've never binged on. Maybe you can do that. But if you start jacking that up, making that taste bud go woo-woo, that taste bud called sweetness because that's in there, then that will then have this, that you're triggering your, your allergic reaction. So the answer is no. You're no different than the alcohol with alcohol. You cannot put those key ingredients in. And again, there are only going to be a few items. We don't have a long list here. We don't have to add things when new uh, food products come out on the market. We simply know that that, I, that key ingredient can't be in any of my foods. Can't be in my foods. I haven't had sugar or sweeteners for 27 years. I don't need to try the latest product. I don't need to put it in a small amount. I probably won't binge on a small amount of something that I don't really care for, but I will go find the substance that I really wanted all along. So the answer is no. You don't don't get away with it. I don't know okay, Marcia thank you. Anything. Well, um, yeah, this is Marcia. Um, the thing that I had to understand when it came to food, when it came to trying to understand what my part in it is, is, is a lot of it is my own self-will, my unwillingness to let go of certain things. So self-will has a big part in in what I did with food. Um, what can I get away with? Um, when I kept saying, maybe I can get away with this, maybe I can get away with that, is when I got myself in a lot of trouble. Um, so whenever I'm thinking of a food and I'm thinking, can I get away with this, then maybe it's a food I should avoid altogether. That's just my two cents. Thank you, Pam, for the question. Now let's go to Carolyn, please. Um, hi, this is Carolyn. Um, yeah, I, I've been in program OA uh, about 11 years. I've had brief periods of abstinence, which when I look back, maybe even weren't real abstinence. I thought they were at the time. Um, I recently was recovered, I thought, and envisioned. I had done all the steps. The promises had come true. I wasn't having any food cravings. I was sponsoring, and then suddenly I was back in the food. And I don't know if it was something in my food plan or that I wasn't doing enough stuff in 10 and 11 work. But, you know, listening to everything you had to say about the foods, there's a bunch of stuff that, that strikes me as, okay, maybe this is an issue. Um, you know, I, I don't do any any sugar, and I have some lists of, of what those could include. Um, I have some question marks like cornstarch, but I don't do any sugar. I don't do any artificial sweeteners, including diet soda or diet gum. I can't do sweetness in general, so I can't do very sweet vegetables like carrots or caramelized onion or cherry tomatoes, sweet potato. can't do any of that. I can't do the very sweet fruits like honeydew, watermelon, grapes. I don't do any all-natural fruit spreads, even if they don't have added sugar. I can't do any dried fruits. I can't do any fruit juices, including OJ, even though it doesn't taste sweet. I can't do any flour at all. Wheat, rice, brown, uh, white, doesn't matter. Um, I don't do potato, rice, or corn. Corn is very sweet. Um, I don't, and now I have a question. I don't do uh, caffeine because it stimulates the appetite. I don't do alcohol, as we said, it's sugar. Now I've got a sponsor who's saying, you know, there's two things that I do have, quinoa and oatmeal. And, and oatmeal I, I'd never heard being an issue for anyone, um, or quinoa. And she said that these may be processed like wheat. Um, you know, so now I'm, I'm totally confused. I don't, I don't know what to do at this point. Um, I, I don't know what's triggering me. Is it even a physical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Um, 
and could I even have been truly recovered if I if I relapsed two months later? So I'm sorry for the the volume of questions, but that's kind of where I am. Okay, so um, again, you'll talk with your sponsor. If you said that you can't do flour. Um, if that's what you're saying about your grains, you cannot eat them in a form of a flour. Then right. Can you eat uh, quinoa or oatmeal in a form that's not processed? So you would eat steel cut oats, and that's not processed. There's, I mean, it's just cut the little grain into pieces, but there's no flour of that. And quinoa, if you uh, fix it without it going into flour, just like brown rice, that wouldn't be a flour product. So right. Have to that, that's that. how I do it. I do the uh, you know the Quaker instant unsweetened oatmeal, which is rolled oats, and the quinoa. I do the the seeds that are cooked. It's not a flour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you'd have to talk to her with that. I do, I don't know. I'm not your sponsor. Um, you're, right. You, what the list you gave me is not flour. Those two things. So you'd have to clarify that with her. Uh, some okay. people can't do flour forms of it. They can't, but then they can eat you know like brown rice or quinoa, I, I, don't, I, I eat it, it's not a flower, and I don't have a problem with it, um, but you'd have to talk to her with that. Um, the second thing is the um, relapse process. So it could have been a particular food where it never really got completely out of your system and you always had the craving, even though it was in my natal mouth, you didn't equate it with later use uh, binging. Um, but, this, but the second could be just um, you have to look at the process you go through. When we believe that relapse is an event, it is our disease talking to us. Relapse, relapse is not an event. It's a process. So I'll just give you mine. This is just overall. I'm going to give you a quick answer. When I go into relapse, I don't mean I've eaten compulsively, but my relapse process always starts with some way in which my relationship with God is decreasing. It's not increasing. We don't even get to ha- have it status quo. If my, my, The purpose of the 12 steps is to obtain and then to improve upon our conscious contact with God. That's the purpose. We go through the 12 steps the first time, we obtain that relationship. And thereafter, at 10, 11, 12, we're always improving that relationship with God. So if, for example, I do my meditation, instead of doing 30 minutes today, I did 25, that's, that's me not doing my job. I should be doing what I'm supposed to do. And if I continue to do that through time, then my relationship with God decreases. So my rel- relapse process has begun there and it's so minute i may not even notice it but i will notice it i don't feel as connected to god as i did so i've already begun my relapse process even though i've not eaten compulsively i've not thought to eat compulsively it's not even there's nothing there but it is there because i'm not doing my spiritual practices every day and i have to do them every day 10 11 12 has to be done every day so i've begun the process now you know this goes on and i don't correct it well then i notice that uh, my thoughts aren't as clear and sharp and focused as they need to be. Maybe I wander and daydream about something. Instead of really staying focused in the present moment, I start thinking about past or future or something. So my thoughts are starting to deteriorate. Um, I also may notice that my emotions may, something bothers me that used to not bother me at all, for example, or whatever. My emotions become more volatile. They're not as balanced and you know, consistent as normal. Um, so that deteriorates. And then, you know, time keeps going on. I'm not making a correction. And then I do such, seemingly important decisions, and those are actions I'm taking in which it draws me closer to my substance without me consciously aware I'm doing it. So the example would be I worked with somebody who, when she would leave her workplace, she would get in her car and drive by 
fast food alley to get home and, of course, never made it. She would always stop and eat. So I told her the obvious. Go out the back door of your business, drive down the other block, and you won't go past them because you're driving by them at night when it's your prime bench time in order to see them, in order to eat them. That was not a conscious decision on her part. It was a seemingly unimportant decision, but it got her in back in the food. So we do these actions, but we're not always consciously aware of it. And then, of course, then the thoughts begin. We start thinking of eating. And if we think about eating them, of course, then we eat. So there is a process. Now, I've, I've, I've condensed it. It can be more elaborate than that. But look at your relapse process. Talk it over with your sponsor. What happened before you ate? You will see something. Then go back to the next thing. And keep going back and back and back to you can go no further back about the process you went through. And you might be shocked to see how much you were already in motion towards that without you even being aware consciously you were doing it. But, yes, it usually begins with not doing 10, 11, 12 to the way it should be done, and our relationship with God begins to deteriorate. That's usually common in all the people I work with. And then after that, details can kind of fluctuate some, but everything goes eventually back into the food. So please, um, somebody you trust to really go in-depth with your relapse process, because we all have one. Um, If I um, not, my relationship with God is not improving, I have to make a change right then. And that's how I stay absent 27 years. It's not, a, it's not complicated. Do it then. No one even knows I, I went through a relapse process with my relationship with God. And I corrected it and I moved right forward. So we always have to make, uh, look at our, our program and make the corrections at any time necessary to improve the relationship with God. I hope that answers it. Do you have anything, Marcia? No, I think that sounds good. Thank you very much, Carolyn, for the question and Ruth for the answer that we have here. And now we'll move on to Rivka. Are you still on the line? Press star one. Hi, this is Rivki. Hi, Rivki. Go ahead. Okay. First of all, thank you, Ruth, Marsha, and Leah. It was an amazing share. And Ruth, I've listened to your Thanksgiving meeting a number of times. Um, follow up to the question that you just um, answered. Um, is what are the differences between the different flowers? Like I know there are people that are off white flour, but will take whole wheat or whole spelt or something like that. That's just a general question. And then the question I have is that I've been off sugar flour and sweeteners for many uh, about 14 years. As you just said, when I've not been in fit spiritual condition, the mental obsession came in. I wasn't. I didn't stop it like you just described. And um, I've never gone back onto sugar, flour, sweeteners, but I haven't stayed abstinent. I binged on abstinent foods and whatever was available to me that was abstinent, not necessarily because I was craving it, but I just wanted to eat. I wanted to eat, and I wouldn't take, I wouldn't pick up sugar, flour, and sweetener. By the grace of God, I don't know why. Um, are those foods that I binge on? Are, do they go on my no eat list? They may be fruits. They may be. It might be ma- fats. It might be mayonnaise. It, it it could be rice cakes. It can be anything that I deem okay. Um, but then when I'm weighing and measuring my food and I'm in fit spiritual condition, those do not tend to be a problem. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Thank you. Well, uh, it, it depends. It could be that you might find that you've had to add something new. But what I find is if it I can be putting something in my body that I thought was fine, and yet when I learn the latest buzzword that the food industry is using and it's a code for one of the substances I can't eat, then, ah, 
you know, I actually put something in my body I should not have put in. So that's why I have to be very vigilant about, um, you know, what is on the food label. Again, though, I eat very little processed food, so I really don't ever run into that problem anymore. Um, I just basically, you know, the, the, the no processed food, and I always end up better. Because, yeah, what's happened to me through time, um, today I've given up some foods that I'm not addicted to, but they're not healthy foods to eat for human beings. So I just don't put them in my body. It's just not a healthy item. It's a, it's a toxic substance made by the food industry. Um, it, it, sometimes they're not food. They're synthetically made in a lab, but we call them food. I just don't put them in my body because I want to eat for optimum health. So I've gone to a place now where I've added things that I don't put in that are not binge foods because I want to eat, I want to eat for optimum health. Um, so uh, as far as your situation, you'd have to talk it over closely with your sponsor is this because uh, you are now starting to eat compulsively on, on foods that you can eat because you're now moving into foods that you can't eat? Sometimes we do that. People do that. I've had people go in, find something, that because it's, it's 2 in the morning. You know, it's, it's 10 degrees below zero. They're going to go in their kitchen and find something that's healthy because they don't have anything, no bench foods in their kitchen. And the next morning they get up and then go find something. Well, yeah, it, it began the process. And... Uh, they definitely were not abstinent. Were those particular foods something they could eat? Maybe they could, except this particular day they did not do what they needed to do. They did not call somebody. They did not get them to do some writing or whatever they needed to do to not put the food in their body. So it would depend upon the situation. You need to talk to your sponsor. I, I, I'm not going to be able to answer, you know, if it's always one way or the other. It could be, yes, you would have to add them, or maybe no, it was, um, it was what you did because then you went ahead and ate, you know, something you shouldn't have eaten that was going to follow right after that. So that you'd have to talk over with somebody. As far as the, the flour, it, it could be that, you know, some people cannot eat uh, grains in flour form. Some people can eat maybe off grains except maybe wheat. Um, some can eat, um, it, again, that would be you want to talk over with your sponsor. Um, again, for me, generally, I eat the least processed form of that substance, almost always, and then I don't really run into problems because the processed form is where the food industry will always sneak in these, the, the, the certain fats, the salts, and the sugar, and the artificial sweeteners. They tend to, they always put it in the, they can't put it in the unprocessed food, like go in the store and buy a piece of, you know, a vegetable or fruit that's not been processed in any way. Um, so again, you just have to be very careful, talk with your sponsors, your sponsor and kind of check your food labels. Um, it's your job to be responsible for your food plan. So I'll turn it over to Marsha. I don't have anything more important to add to that. <laughs> well, thank you Ben very much for the question. Is there anyone else that has a question for Ruth or for Marsha? This is Nancy. This is Nancy. I have a question. Hello. Uh, yes, I have a question. My name is Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Just one moment. Just one moment. I did hear several others before you, Deborah. I did hear Do, and I thought I heard Nancy. Those were two that I thought that I heard. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Do, then Nancy. Oh. We'll start there, then with Deborah. Deborah, after that. So we'll start with you, Do, then, and proceed to Nancy, and then Deborah Leah. Thank you. Toby. Good morning. 
Thank you so much, uh, Ruth and Marsha and Leah, for, for your service. Um, thank you for this panel. Um, my question is um, it, regarding entire abstinence. Um, let's say you've been recovered for two years and you go and you have this little, small, tiny half of a wafer of something that is not part of your food plan. And um, my question is, uh, at that point when you take, let's say, just a little tiny bit of that, um, does that mean that you have a slip or does that mean that you break your, your, you're breaking entire abstinence? Okay, so if an alcoholic had just a, just a little couple swallows of beer one day, would he still be sober? Uh, no. Okay. So I think you know your answer. Um, if you, if it doesn't matter, if you did it, you did it. I mean, you did it, and so no, you are now no longer abstinent. Um, the very important thing is that what I hear in program is people will say, "Well, that was just a slip. It doesn't count. I'm still abstinent." No, no, no. That, that's not the way it works. You have to have entire abstinence. So you would not be abstinent. And again, you would work with your sponsor to go and learn the relapse process that got you to that place that you did something that you should not have done. And you'll probably find that it didn't begin that moment. There was something preceding it where 10, 11, 12 work wasn't being done right for some reason. So I pass it to Marcia. Well, that was my experience. Um, I had, uh, in November, had compulsively overeaten turkey. It was a, it was Thanksgiving, and I was I had allowed myself to become very filled with fear about a certain family situation that was going on, and and uh, I just one day I was just I had family over for Thanksgiving, and and as I was carving the turkey, I was I was nibbling on it as I was going along, and. Um, when I talked with my sponsor about it, I, you know, I had to tell her that this is what I was doing. I had, I had to. It's really just a matter of was I consciously, compulsively overeating, and yes, I was. And there's really no black. There's really no gray area in that. I was not eating during my prescribed meal, and and it was compulsive. So it was. Am I eating compulsively or am I not eating compulsively? And the answer for me was pretty clear. So I had to I had to say that I I had compulsively overeaten on Thanksgiving because I had eaten outside of what I had committed to my food plan. So I had to begin back again on step 1 with my sponsor and uh you know it's it's we're, we're, you know, we're we're human. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be, rise above human. Um, and things happen. And sometimes when we get away from higher power, um, we, you know, things things kind of, the food is the, the last thing to go. And for me, that that was where I was. So um, thank God that uh, I'm back on track. And um, we're, I went through the the steps again with my sponsor. And um, uh, so. I'm back on 10, 11, and 12, and, I, and I'm recovered today, and that's that's excellent. I mean, that's that's more than I could have hoped for, and, and I thank God that uh, God gave me the willingness to be honest with my sponsor about it. 
Thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, thank you, Duke, for the question, and thank you for the responses, Marsha and Ruth. Um, so we're going to move on then to Nancy. Are you still there with us, Nancy? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Good morning. What's your question? Yes, thank you for your service. I have two questions. The first is about measuring vegetables. You talked about uh, broccoli, and um, I, I str I'm confused about um, putting broccoli or green beans or other kind of bulky vegetables in cups. I guess I'm supposed to cut them up into really small pieces, um, but uh, a half a cup of sautéed escarole feels like a lot more vegetables than a half a cup of cut up broccoli. So I, I kind of was measuring my vegetables and the relationship between cups versus ounces. Um, the second question is about whether or not either of you bring backup food to restaurants, for instance, like half, you know, brown rice in a baggie just in case you can't get abstinent options on the menu. Thank you. Okay, so the first question, you can do it by volume or you can do it by weight. Um, if it's easier for you to just weigh out your ounces of vegetables, again, some are broccoli. I mean, I'm giving you a general overall view. I mean, you could break it down into more minute details on each, you know, vegetable with your sponsor. If that's easier, then just just weigh it out. Just get a scale out and just weigh. Okay, this is a serving size. Okay, here it is, and uh, that'll work. That, if that helps you sometimes, because um, we can cut things up, and you can't believe how much we can get in a cup. <laughs> we cut things up enough. Um, and then um, the second, what was the second question? I just forgot. What did you ask me the second question? Um, it was about bringing back up food oh, to restaurants. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if uh, I mean, there's two ways. One is if you, uh, when you go out to eat, um, is to, you know, you can always find out what the menu is before you go. Most of that's on the web. Um, you can also end up going to restaurants that you know has abstinent food with you. Um, if you're going somewhere and you have no idea what's on the menu, um, yes, I, I, I can bring my food because I have no idea what I'm going to be eating. I'm, I'm going to be prepared. It is, not, it is not the chef's responsibility that I be abstinent. It's mine. So... I, I will have something if I have no idea what I'm what I'm going to be encountering. I would I will bring something. Sometimes I'll bring something that if I don't eat it, I can just take it home. It's not like it's going to go bad or something. So I can just bring it along. And uh, and then I get there and I find out there is something absent. Fine. If if not, then I have my food ready. And that just isn't just restaurants. It's anything. If I'm going to be out and I'm not sure when I'm going to get home, and I may be running late. I will probably just go ahead and pack up a meal to be on the safe side uh, rather than coming home uh, past my meal time and being hungry. That's not good. When we get in, start a meal and we're too hungry, we start to want to eat it too fast and get too concentrated mm -hmm. on it. So it doesn't matter what it is. I'll, I, you know, traveling food or whatever you want to call it, I, I do have foods that I can, I can just bring with me. And so, yes, just be prepared and bring something with you. Do you mind if I ask, are you embarrassed or, you know, do you get strange reactions from other people about, you know, putting rice on your plate I, or something really else? Matter. It doesn't matter if they give me strange, that's not, they're not responsible for my recovery. I am. 
Now, if I went into a restaurant and I ate by myself and I did that, that would be kind of weird because I've taken up their space and the waiters come to give me time and I'm not really eating their food. That kind of sounds weird. But if I'm in a group, let's say I'm in a group and there's, I don't know, six of us, and you know what? They don't care. they got five people that paid them a meal. They don't care if another person is in there. So I have gone in with some people, and, and uh, I'll just get a glass of water. You know, I've, I've, you know, they're serving the water, so go ahead and do that for me. But beyond that, I don't really need anything. I've got everything with me. No, I'm, I'm not embarrassed. It, I, I don't really care. Um, the restaurant doesn't care if you're with a group of people and they're eating. They don't care if one person's not eating. It, it, it doesn't really matter. They still made money. Um, so, it, you know, no, it doesn't bother me. Um, it, if if I was um, I don't know a diabetic, and I had to, and I had a really strict food plan to follow, and uh, I went in the restaurant and I you know that's what I need. I don't would would people go? Oh, you look weird. You have to eat so that you don't have a diabetic reaction right here. No, they would. Why would they care? I mean, they, they go take care of yourself. You know, take care of yourself. I don't have diabetes. I don't know what it means, but I know you have to do some things here. Great, go do that. I don't see that people would necessarily be embarrassed about that or get strained licks. I mean, we're no different. We just have a disease, but it's called compulsive eating. At least that's my experience. So I'll pass it to Marcia. Um, actually, I go out to dinner um, every once in a while, and I'm usually with OA people, and I've, I've seen, uh, I, I know one person who brings their own dressing. I personally go to the website beforehand, and I uh, figure out what they have that I can eat. And I usually can find something. I mean, I, I was at a restaurant last week with some OA friends, and I found uh, a, a perfectly acceptable um, vegetables um, that I, I I don't eat salad very often anymore because I just don't want to deal with dressing. So um, so my choices there were I had three side vegetables that were perfectly healthy, and I had a side of rice. And I didn't eat all of the rice because it was more than a serving, but uh, but that was my meal. It was perfectly filling. It was perfectly fine. Um, but I made that plan ahead of time because, like Ruth said, I'm in charge of my food plan. Um, God takes care of the rest. So as long as I'm doing my part, God will take care of the rest. Thank you, and thank you, Nancy, for the questions. Appreciate those very much. And we're going to move to um, Deborah Leah for probably our last question today, looking at the time, thanking you both for what you've offered today, unless we have, of course, some sort of burning question. But Deborah Leah, do you want to unmute for your question, please? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, it's wonderful uh, qualification and meeting this morning. Um I don't hear anything about beans or lentils. I know that when I was abstinent, um, I have like a very bad high blood pressure problem. And I went into beans, vegetables, seeds, berries, and fruit. And I even made drinks in my blender with uh, seeds in them. And I mean, I uh, I lost weight so fast that my nutritionist was very upset. And then uh, I was following a book with an author, and it was a doctor that wrote the book, and it said, you will lose a lot of weight with beans and vegetables, seeds, berries, fruit. And uh, it was marvelous. 
And the fact that the nutritionist was against it made me feel confused. I left the nutritionist, and then uh, eventually I didn't have any support. I, I left abstinence also. It, beans and vegetables started to get very boring, but it kept my blood pressure down. And now that I'm eating more normally and even uh, unabstinently, my pressure went up to 195 uh, this, this, you know, like two months ago. And they put me on extra blood pressure pills. And I'd like to go back to the beans and vegetables and salad and berries and seeds and nuts and uh, <clears throat> fruit. And uh, I don't know how to get back there. I don't know how to get back there. I don't know how to start. I guess I'm going to need a sponsor. But anyway, thank you for letting me share. Okay, so first of all, I know Marsha and I are not uh, going to give medical advice. Uh, that would be inappropriate. So the first thing you talked about is you have blood pressure and it's too high and you would need to work with your physician on how to most effectively uh, deal with that. I mean, that's, that's, not our, I, that's not the deal of OA. You know, you're going to have to talk to that. What does that mean? What kind of, uh, you know, food plan? Uh, they would call it a diet that I need to be on to deal with my blood pressure. I'm sure that's something that you would be talking to the physician about. And I know they have the DASH and other kind of food plans for that. But whatever, you would, you would have to deal with that with the doctor. So we, we can't tell you, you know, do this or do that to deal with your blood pressure. Talk with your doctor. Find out what it is you need to do. And you can bring in this information. Say, you know, No, doc, the doctor that wrote the book said that um, high blood pressure and people with uh, sugar diabetes do not need too much animal protein. Animal protein has a lot of natural salts, and a lot of it has antibiotics and different stuff in it. And the idea of this doctor that wrote the book was how to get rid of your diabetes. And I was following it. He mentioned also that you get rid of high blood pressure by cutting back on animal protein a lot, cutting back a lot, and eating all these beans and vegetables and seeds and berries and nuts. Nuts right. are very healthy, and uh, fruit. Right. And, and I'm you... telling you, I was doing so well that I went down into the 130s, and I was going lower. And then I had a problem with the nutritionist about the fact I was losing so much so fast. I forgot the name of the book or the doctor. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I have ADD, and I'm bipolar, and I forget things. But, you know, I'd like to go back to that. How do, I, how do I go from being unabstinent and eating ice cream and eating matzah and eating bread and cheese? How do I give up those things again and go back to being abstinent? Okay, so, so first, again, the issue of your blood pressure, I don't believe, Marsha, I can tell you what we would say, yes, do this, and that will lower your blood pressure. We are not doctors. You've had experience where you had a particular diet that seemed to make your blood pressure better. So you would go to your doctor and say, this is what I did. It, seemed, it was effective. Let me talk to you. Not even at reading a, a book written by a doctor, but you're going to have to go get some medical supervision because you have blood pressure medication. So talk to your doctor. 
see what you can work out with your doctor as far as appropriately dealing with your blood pressure. The issue of being abstinent, yes, within the context of dealing with medical conditions, you still have to be abstinent. So you would, still, you would work with a sponsor and devise a, a food plan that does not have of your binge food ingredients in it. You must do that. That's the big book says, entire abstinence. While you create that food plan that does not have any binge food ingredient in it, you may try this plan uh, because it helps your blood pressure, and that's fine. I, that's your call. You have to work with your doctor about your food plan for your blood pressure, but it must be abstinent. So we have two things here, but they can coexist, and you can do both. But as far as telling you to specifically what foods to eat to deal with blood pressure, I, I, I'm not comfortable. I'm sure Marsha's not comfortable telling you what you have to do to deal with blood pressure. So talk to your doctor. Get that worked out. Know what those binge food ingredients are. Do not put them in your food plan at all. And then create a food plan that deals with your blood pressure relative oh, to Oh, yeah, the doctor agreed with the medical uh, book uh, okay. and, and cutting back on animal protein and having the beans and all this other stuff. But he said it was very difficult to live that way, and I found it very difficult. And then little by little I just broke my abstinence all the way because it was very boring to live on beans and vegetables and seeds and berries and nuts. I started eating nuts by the pound, and it was very difficult, you know, not to have a nice piece of steak or a nice broiled uh, chicken or whatever. It became very difficult for me, yeah. All right, thanks for letting me share. Devorah, this okay. is Marcia. The thing about abstinence, it's the, the willingness is a one-person job. I mean, all the books in the world, all the doctor and medical advice in the world um, is great, potentially, or it could be dangerous, potentially, but still... Um, once I once I'm done dealing with my doctor, the 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 willingness to put down the food is is all on me. That's one thing that I must do is put it down. It has to start with me as far as putting the food down. So how I put it just all I have to worry about is 24 hours. That's all I have to worry about. Can I put it down for 24 hours? And then the next day, can I put it down for 24 hours? And after a while, I get a week. And after a while, I get a month of 24 hours. So we can we can tell you all about, you know, how it worked for us. We can give you the pamphlets. We can give you the books. We can talk with you on the phone for hours. But willingness to put the food down is a one-man job, and that's up to me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Devorale, for the question, and I thank you so much for the responses today and the time that we've been able to spend with you. We've had two hours of wonderful, wonderful information that was given out initially in the questions and answers and things that we've, we have been through, and I wanted to, to just... Um, Hi, this is Semi. One more question. Sim, I really would uh, like to be able to maybe offer you the telephone numbers or contact information for our guests today since we have been on the line for two minutes and I mean two hours and, and see if we can't close it at this point unless it's an absolutely, you know, question that has never been asked and it's a burning desire for you. Sim, would that be the case? Well, thank you again, everyone, that has asked the questions today. Marcia, Susan C., Elizabeth D., Rifty, Sam. Hello. Hear me? Hello. 
Yeah, hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, this is Lisa. I have a very quick question that's kind of a burning desire question. Okay, we'll, we'll offer you that particular time, and then we will close the meeting. Thank you so much. Lisa, go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, there are a group of people that call themselves recovered compulsive overeaters who don't follow food plans, and the ideology is that as long as they don't eat compulsively, they can eat anything that they want to eat, and they, they, they're living joyous, happy, and free, and, you know, in neutrality about food. And I just wanted to ask you your, your, your opinion about that. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not sure um, if somebody is not eating compulsively, then they have a plan to not eat compulsively. I guess is what you're saying, it, whatever that may be. Um, again, they need to work with a sponsor. My my position is what I presented today. I'm trying to work the program exactly as the big book tells me to work it. I don't get to editorialize it and not put in something or put in something that's not there. So I need to have a food plan that does not have any of those key food ingredients in it, just like the alcoholic has to have things he puts in his body that does not have alcohol in it. It's no different. So whatever they mean by that, I don't know. I would have to ask them what they mean, that they're happy and joyous and free and they don't have a food plan. They eat whatever they want. Well, if if I can eat whatever I want and never have to have a plan around food, I'm probably not a compulsive eater. So I, I don't know. I, and I don't know enough about what you've asked me to really address it. Um, I don't know. But I need a plan because eating impulsively always leads me into trouble. If I don't have my food uh, available and I can just eat whatever I feel like eating, um, that's not a good idea because I'll make bad choices eventually. So I need to have a plan, not trying to control it, but just have the plan of what's appropriate, healthy, nutritious food that doesn't have uh, any kind of food ingredient. I, I would never go and not look at food labels if I was going to buy a processed food. I just think it would all work out because it, it won't. So I, I don't know really the particulars of who you're talking about. I would have to talk to them more to see what they're what they're about. I'll turn it over to Marcia. Yeah, that's the same with me. I, I just I don't know what it is to eat in moderation. I have no idea. If people can eat sugar in moderation, then it's just like the big book says, more power to them. Um, that's not my story. Um, my story is I've never been able to control sugar in any form, in any amount. So um there are there are hard drinkers they say and they're not necessarily alcoholic and for here for me i mean there's some people who eat food compulsively or eat um uh maybe can be able to eat some foods in moderation but that's not me and that's that's not how i mean, i i'm i try to sponsor people who um have the same problem that i have with food that they aren't able to eat with any moderation in any form so I can't relate to people who can eat. I, I just can't. I just can't. It just It's not my story. Thank you, Marsha. Thank you, Ruth, for uh, answering that particular question. Thank you, Lisa, for offering that. We are going to close this meeting like we close our meeting on Sunday Special Edition each week, and that is with page 164. <laughs> and we will offer all of that information just as soon as the recording has stopped. I know we have eager people that 
really are interested in having contact with you that have been our guests today. So we'll offer that information as soon as we're finished the recording. That's what we do each week too here at A Vision for You on our Sunday special edition. After the recording is stopped for your anonymity and your privacy. So just hang on tight here and I will read page 164 to us and we'll get on to closing that meeting and stopping that recording and get on to that next piece is how to get a hold of these folks because I have so many more burning questions. But thanks again so much. Marsha and Ruth, this has been a very wonderful, deep, rich time together for two solid hours, and you've given so much of yourself here today. And we've had some very pertinent, important questions. I believe it was on the mind of everyone, and I would like to thank them. I may miss somebody, and I certainly apologize for that if I do. But thank you, Marcia and Susan C., Elizabeth C., Risky, Pam, Carolyn, Du, Nancy, and Devora, Leah, and Lisa. Thank you for your very much thought out questions and the responses to those. And again, repeating, I would close this meeting today on page 164 like we do all of our Sunday special edition meetings. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.